All right, so uh, with us uh, is Jim Bruce from Australia, and uh, Jim is um, responsible for our New Zealand market as well. Jim is here in uh, Denmark, and we were recording these podcasts today, um, and we saw the opportunity to invite Jim for a talk about the New Zealand market. Um, it's improvised, so we don't really know where it's heading and how long it will take, but um, but we'll we'll take it as we go. Um, we've talked about to uh, to cover uh, an overview of New Zealand for uh, potential listeners, and um, and to have a chat about what's going on and and what's cooking in New Zealand. Welcome to uh, this extra episode, Jim. Thank you, Helki. It's great to be here, um, and uh, I don't mind being accosted in the hallway and dragged into the studio. That's uh, perfect. Perfect. So, um, Jim. Um, well, first of all, explain a bit about what you do in Australia. So, Helki, I'm the country manager for Australia. We have a uh, subsidiary uh, business of Viking Genetics um, that's been uh, operating for 12 years. Um, and in addition to that, and, and where we're heading in this conversation, is I'm also responsible for sales in New Zealand, which we do through our distributor there, Salmon NZ. Um, and we've been working with Salmon NZ now for some four years, I think it is. Um, and um, yeah, they, uh, they're a high quality distributor. They're enthusiastic, energetic, um, innovative. And um, whilst they're selling our product, they've been terrific for, my, for, for me in my role because I've been able to learn from them. Um, it's not just we sell them product, but it's a two-way street. They've... Uh, They've taught me quite a lot and and given me great ideas. All right. Um, so lots of stuff is going on in New Zealand. Explain a little uh, about the New Zealand market. How does it work? Uh, what are the 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 uh, what, what is the New Zealand dairy market? So the New Zealand dairy market um, is is actually over. I would say the last uh, 15, 20 years has grown significantly in the number of cows. They're now sitting up around 6 million cows. Um, when I first paid attention to New Zealand earlier in my career, there were a lot of a lot of Angus cows and there was a dairy industry and now the dairy industry dominates uh, the cow numbers in New Zealand. They've actually displaced a lot of those beef cattle, which is probably a, a fun fact that I've learned recently from from working with salmon just how much growth they've had. So the breed makeup um, of that 6 million or so cows is a few hundred thousand Holsteins, a few hundred thousand Jerseys, uh, about 100,000 or so red cattle, predominantly Ayrshire. And then the rest are crossbreds where the the dominant um, pattern, I guess, in that is uh, Holstein Jersey cross. Mm. Um, And the dominant player in the semen market is the local cooperative, LIC, uh, livestock Improvement Company, um, and um, they've been actively encouraging farmers there into crossbreeding for quite some time. Do you, do you know why that crossbred between uh, Friesian Jersey has become so popular in, in New Zealand? That's a really good question. I think that the traits that they really like in those cattle, um, they're compact in size. Yeah. Um, they do like those cattle to be to be compact and lighter on their feet, lighter in the pasture. Um, and the the... The combination of uh, including the Holstein, of course, brings a lot more production. Um, so it, it's it's a happy compromise. But as is often the case with a lot of these things, you know, there's room for improvement, and that's been the uh, the opportunity that uh, Salmon 
has introduced Viking into, mm. um, and that is to approach those farmers and say, look, we've got an idea where you introduce a third breed, and the Viking Red's been the perfect uh, third breed to be the bridge between Holstein and Jersey because they're two quite different um, uh, types, um, and the, the Viking Red fits very well. For us around the world, we talk about Golden Cross, um, and um, you know we're we're accumulating the science and the reports and the results and and the the, the customer feedback yeah. from that um, you know all over the place. Yeah. So it's it's I think it's very interesting um, the fact that the majority of the cows in New Zealand uh, are in fact crossbred, because if we look at uh, you know other major dairy producing countries, um, Western Europe, the US. Um, all of these countries are they're purebred and they're purebred only mainly then we have you know Ireland is a bit more uh, the UK is a bit more crossbreeding as well mm. but but in general the majority of those in those countries that the breeds that they use the cows that they milk are purebred why is that different do you think in New Zealand well i think and again this is uh, this is what i've observed i think there is we see it in australia as well um, when people need to get more cattle, um, the purebreds aren't available necessarily. And so uh, quite often coming from a Holstein cow, there are Jersey cross calves because they're using Jersey for calving ease on those uh, Holstein cows. Um, and for a lot of people with a Holstein herd, they're not that interested in the crossbreds. So they become a rich source of alternate dairy cattle for people in a market where the numbers are growing. So I think um, in Australia, I, I think they're probably looked at as a cheaper source of new dairy cattle to come in. I don't know if that's the case. I don't know the economics of it, but certainly it's a it's a more um, it's a pipeline of new cattle in a growing market such as New Zealand. Hmm. So that to me would be a big part of it. Um, and I think, as, as I've said, the the compromise between those two types. Um, has worked well in that environment. It's a it's a it's a grass environment. It's a walking environment. Um, it's a wet environment for a lot of the the comparison to a lot of places. Such se as Australia. Seasonal calving environment. Very tight, very tight seasonal calving. And I think you know we we've all seen in crossbreeding programs the the trait that gets the biggest boost is uh, the most significant boost economically is fertility. Yeah. Um, and so in a very tight um, uh, seasonal calving industry, as, as is New Zealand, um, yeah, that's, that would be a critical um, consideration for them too. Can you put into um, uh, reference for us the, the impact it has if, if, you, if you don't have that tight block um, of calving in New Zealand? What, what's the impact for the farmer? I know. I know from a from a semen company perspective, um, outside of that window, it's all over, baby. It's all over because it is, it is really tight across uh, most of the industry. There will be some autumn carving, and I, I don't know whether that's entirely by design or just cows that that miss and and are, and are retained. Um, because the other parts would be spring calving, so so spring, utilizing the grass, utilizing the peak production of the grass with so the spring milk is production. the is the big um, the big breeding season, and it is absolutely all about grass production because their their production base is all about grass. Um, 
it, it, it has to be done in a manner that suits, that, that's in harmony with the environment. Um, and so that's, that's the key. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, the Viking Reds. Um, we've done well with the Viking Reds uh, along with Salmon. They've seen the opportunity to uh, include that into the mix of these crossbreds between mm. the Jersey and the Holstein, including the Viking Reds in there. Can you tell us a bit about what made that happen and why they went that route? Well, I think whilst those crossbred cows had their benefits um, to those farmers, there was room for improvement. Um, and so that's where Salmon, you know, targeted the message uh, around the key traits of the Reds, uh, that they are uh, cattle with longevity, they're cattle with fertility and so forth. They're also um, uh, hardy and structurally uh, strong, um, feet and legs, etc. So, so they're mobile cattle. And I think um, then you, you play into a market where if you've got a, a Holstein Jersey cross cow, you know, there, there are some crossbred bulls that you can use to maintain a balance of the two breeds. It's either that or you're crossing back to Jersey or back to Holstein. It's, it's, it's switching back and forth. And um, by incorporating the third breed, it starts to smooth those cattle, I guess, into uh, a more homogeneous group rather than having um, the predominantly Holsteins and the predominantly Jerseys, depending on how many generations of those each breed, there's quite a bit of difference. When you've got three breeds, it's a far more homogenous group of cattle. Yeah, and so it's it's about utilizing the the hybrid vigor uh, partly because if you, let's say that you have this crossbred cow, Jersey Holstein, and you use a crossbred bull, Jersey Holstein, uh, basically you don't know what you're going to get because if the genes mix up, you can get anything from zero to 100% uh, heterosis. Well, and I think also there's not a huge array of options in those bulls. So it, it really narrows the field and that's where um, it's probably more attractive if you're staying with Holstein and Jersey. You've got a far more choice uh, in the traits and, the, and the, uh, the impact of those traits that you can get from the Holstein breed than you can from the selection of crossbred bulls that are available. So I think uh, another pure breed and particularly one that's um, numerically significant with a with a strong breeding program, data behind it, such as the Viking Reds, becomes a better option with with more traits to select for, more progress to be made than you know what was otherwise a limited field. Yeah, and um, from <clears throat> what I've heard as well is that they what they appreciate is the size of the the Viking Reds, which is you know. Uh, exactly intermediate between yep. the Jersey and the Holstein. So, Correct, yeah. and and adding a bit more body condition um, that boosts the fertility. So, so many aspects fit into that. I think the strength of the cattle, um, the robustness of of the cow in a, in an environment such as New Zealand, where they need to walk, they need to graze, they're hardy, they're they're easy care. Um, yeah, they they all of that is attractive in that in that uh, environment. So what are the main traits that they've been looking for in New Zealand in, within these Red Bulls? Well, it's not just the Red Bulls, but across the industry um, at the moment, the predominant milk company is Fonterra. Uh, they pick up around 80% of the milk in New Zealand and they, um, they're a large organisation and they export a lot of milk out of Australia and New, uh, Australia and New Zealand um, and they... Um, 
feed, if you like, uh, from our corner of the world. They feed a lot of dairy protein into a predominantly Asian market and it is perceived that A2 milk is far easier to digest, particularly in a population where the um, consumption of dairy protein has been historically very, very low or, or non-existent, depending on where you are. So Fonterra are now requiring farmers to work towards being pure A2 because it gives them greater flexibility when they are selling the milk. Yep. So this is a trait that is something that it's no longer preferred, it's mandatory. Uh, it, we are not sending bulls to New Zealand that are not A2, A2. And it's it's something that we see in, in Denmark as well. Arla is is pushing the the A2, A2 milk as well. It's uh, And I think, you know, globally, it is a movement. It, it, look, it, for, the, for the milk processor, it gives them flexibility. If you don't want A2, A2, well, we just don't need to write it on the on the package. It's still milk. It tastes the same. But if A2, A2 is important to you, Yes, we've got that. So that becomes a commercial imperative. It goes beyond breeding preferences. It's just a commercial imperative. And the other one that comes right on the back of that is an animal welfare position that food companies want to take. And part of that animal welfare position that they're taking to the end consumer of our products is that we're not dehorning. So <clears throat> we're not taking any bulls to New Zealand, um, except I have to make an exception. There are some older proven bulls that we're still using, but certainly all the young bulls are polled, preferably PP. All right. Um, any other things that they're looking at specifically um, that are specifically important? Look, I think um, for uh, the New Zealand market, it is it is about uh, milk solids, uh, far more than, than uh, volume. Um, they also, in those crossbred herds, they're looking very, very closely at other traits um, as, a, as a key priority. Yep. Well, we know that the, the Viking Reds have done well, um, but recently, over the last year or so, um, another one of our um, products has done well, the, the Danish Blue. Um, yep. All about gestation length, you tell me. What, tell, tell us... Tell a bit more about that. Well, again, uh, as we mentioned earlier, it's a very, very tight seasonal calving pattern and every uh, every extra day in milk is dollars. So whilst everyone around the world is using more beef on dairy, the, the Kiwis are in that, in that same vein, they're using more beef on dairy. Um, but in a tight seasonal calving, if you're all, round, all year calving, it's not so important. But in a tight seasonal calving, getting everybody calved within the window is a management issue. But also longer gestation is loss of milk production. And so salmon, um, this is one of those ideas that I stole from salmon. I'm quite happy to copy. If someone has a really good idea and a really good initiative, mm. I'm not, not, not ashamed to, uh, to replicate it elsewhere. So they went to farmers and said, if you're using a Hereford bull, you are losing up to, based on breed averages, up to two weeks of milk. How much is that worth? Mm. And when the farmer looks at the price of the semen and how much milk they could have been losing, it makes the Danish Blue a compelling offer. Wow. Now, then they are they grow vigorously, they carve well, um, and now market uh, acceptance of those calves um, in, in the calf market or even as a uh, what we would call a vila market is, um, 
that's in improving and, in, and uh, the demand for those carbs is has been really strong. Now, salmon have been using uh, Belgian blues in, in general for some years and over the last, this is our third year, I think, um, <clears throat> they've been using the Danish blues uh, where we have a difference and the difference is around carving ease and, and um, um, which is so critical and Historically speaking, there are, there's a lot of dairy farmers around the world who have probably had nightmares around carving and Belgian blues in the past, but it's a different game today, particularly with our Danish blues. The, the calves have been really, really well accepted by the farmers in New Zealand. We've now replicated this in Australia. They've also been really, really well accepted by the farmers. They come early. It makes sense to go with the short gestation. Short gestation is not just about more days in milk. It also gives that cow longer to recover before she has to rebreed mm. because in that tight seasonal calving, we don't like cows that take holidays between calving and rebreeding. Interesting. Um, Jim, um, looking ahead, what what do you expect of the New Zealand market? The New Zealand market is, um, I guess, uh, one that I find surprises me when just when I think – I've got my head around what they do and why they do it, then I learn more. Um, so that they do things different or they change things. I finally figure out what it's all for. Um, we're pretty excited at the moment that we've identified some key traits and uh, ways to uh, predict accurately um, off the traits here from the Nordic evaluation or the, the Australian evaluation, just how those bulls are going to rank in the New Zealand um, evaluation. And we've identified some Holstein bulls that have um, the particular style and type that, that will really suit them. Now, we haven't, we've sold Holstein semen there and, and been quite happy, but um, we think we've actually found uh, a, a compact bodied um, animal that um, is going to be that lower impact, high conversion sort of a cow um, that they're really looking for. Um, it's great to see that we've been able to find exactly that style of animal within the Nordic population. So that, that's exciting. Well, Jim, thanks a lot. Um, an improvised um, podcast about uh, the New Zealand market. Thanks a lot. Thanks for uh, joining us. And um, any it, final comments? It's, it's been my pleasure. It's great to share with your listeners wherever they may be just what we're doing in our part of the world um, and um, it's exciting to to share uh, what viking is achieving for for dairy farmers around the world so uh, thank you thanks a lot <laughs>